There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey, everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your main man, Chris Mechanic, and we have got a real treat for you here today. Uh, Today's guest is one of those unicorn-style marketers that we really love on this show. Uh, He's actually a dev uh, by trade turned marketer, which many of the best are. He's a foremost expert in PLG, that's product-led growth. Over 18 years of experience leading product management and marketing teams uh, to successfully implement PLG strategies like he's done at uh, Nutanix, Redis, and DevRev, uh, among several others. He's also a guest lecturer at Duke University uh, on the product-led growth, uh, and new product development categories. And currently is chief marketing officer at single store, which is a really interesting company growing super duper fast, raising tons of money. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Madhukar Kumar to the show. How are you Madhukar? Good. And very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Did I say your name right? I've been practicing. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's Madhukar, but you, you like I started off as a developer. I feel it's a unique identifier. So if I know somebody is referring to me, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other on how it's pronounced. Interesting. Well, you are a really interesting uh, personality. I could tell just from the pre-show and the prep call. So I'm super duper excited to get into it. You know we love to lead with the value. So we always lead with this uh, one big question which is what is one of your best kept secrets to success in marketing? Yeah, I think that is an exceptionally good question to start with because I think it gets to the heart of marketing. And in my case, I like to think that it is being the user. Whatever product or services you're trying to put out in the market, if you have never used the product as your own customer or as your own user, I think you're doing a huge disfavor to yourself as well as to your customers. So yeah. what do I mean by that? In, you know, in technology space, a lot of time it means that you're a developer user and you're using your own product like a developer. And marketers, oftentimes, what we tend to do is we get too deep into the mechanics of how do I acquire and how do I do adoption and do leads and stuff? When you really start using the product yourself, you get into the shoes of your end customer. And then certain things start to show up in, in things like, how do I add value to this overall user journey? Yeah, And that's where the second, I would say, quote unquote, secret comes in, is how do you use code or how do you use automation to drive that and make that easier? And if you figure these two things out, I feel it's very key to to being a good marketer. Yeah. So the first thing is to actually be the user, which means yeah. to actually use it. Talk to us about that second thing, code and automation. So if I'm a non-dev or a non-technical person, does that apply to me too? I think it applies to every marketer that is uh, doing marketing in 2023 and beyond because 
at the end of the day, we are all using software. We are all using applications and now generative AI to do our stuff or to do our day-to-day work. And oftentimes what tends to happen is, is, of course, as a CMO, you get tons of different technologies get pitched at you and you get excited. And sometimes the team says, hey, this is a great tool. Go, let's go use it. Yeah. But if you lose the sight of the overall user journey and where the data is flowing in and where it's headed and what's the end goal you want to do with it, that becomes a huge problem because now suddenly you find teams start talking about attribution. We don't have the data right or we have the same data lying in 20 different places, and that slows you down. When it slows you down as a marketer, you can no longer do experimentations. Or even if you have hypothesis and you are trying to run an, you know, an experiment and it takes you two weeks to do it, then you're already lost. Right. So to build a foundation of code and automation, you actually build a machine for growth which starts with, you know, how are people using, discovering your product? How are they using it, adopting it? And finally, what do they do in order to become like a paid customer? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's let's bring this down to earth. So let's say that I say that I'm a, um, you know, I'm a marketer. I work at say an HR software company, right? Mm-hmm. So I sell to, I sell into the HR org and the people ops org my my product you know helps in the not so much the recruitment phase but more so in like the people management phase so that's where people go to learn about their benefits and you know get the forms that they need we can collect feedback you know it's in it's in that sort of uh talent management category and say you're a marketer here and you're running campaigns and and doing all these things how would you go about being a user there because like you don't have a workforce to manage right so how would you how would you get close to that and and be a user of that platform yeah so what i mean is at the end of the day irrespective of your field you are still selling products to a human right Mm -hmm. and we are all humans at least last when i checked but Mm -hmm. There could be some doubts there too. I'm part AI. <laughs> I'm yeah, AI enabled human. I'm about eighty percent there. Mm. So, so what I, what I mean is, uh, you have to your end users have to do a few tasks. Like they need to first go and search for what their pain point is, or if somebody is telling them about their software, they're listening to that story. That's part of the product journey, right? That's part of okay, what exactly are you searching for or what exactly is my team telling you? That's your first step into the journey. Second is you get access to the software, you log in, maybe you do some configurations, and then you start to do things. So to become a user, you actually have to be empathetic to the user in several different dimensions. One is discovery, the other is being pitched to, what does that feel like? What does that look like? And the last part is using the product itself. Now, when it comes to using the product, if you are not an expert in that area, then the first thing I would do is I would educate myself in that area. It's like, okay, it's an HR software, great. But let me just go first figure out what is the problem that we solve? How are we different than other users or other products And then I try to use not only my own product, but also my competitor's product. 
And then lastly, what I would do is I'll go talk to some of these customers that we have. Like, tell me what does your day-to-day look like? And why did you go with this software versus something else? And that gives you more insight. So you're in a loop to go and find out more. And that's the discovery and the and the curiosity which makes you into a better user, more empathetic user. So then you can craft your message the way it resonates with your future users as well. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Because in the case of that, you know, HR software marketer, I was thinking, well, okay, well, what if I don't have a workforce really to manage? But you said something that really jumped out is that, hey, there's certain tasks. Mm-hmm. There's certain tasks that your user needs to do. They need to enroll a new employee. You know, they need to schedule the reviews. They need to do these things. So if you have a breakdown of that list of top tasks, even yeah. if you're not anywhere really near the HR field, you can literally log into the software and go and perform those top tasks yourself, and you'll learn an incredible amount. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, over a period of time, you you also tend to gravitate towards products that you market, which is close to you as a user too, right? Like I'll probably not go into marketing, let's say cranes or bulldozers because I have zero experience about it. But I would go to something that I have used or I use on a day-to-day basis. Now, granted, not everybody gets that choice, but when you do, I feel you're a better marketer when you're a user yourself in one way or the other. Yeah. And I mean, that might be, that might go into sort of the career advice category, you know, for anybody looking for a new thing or anybody in between uh, gigs, they might start with the question of like, okay, well, what software do I use and love currently? And maybe let me limit my, my job search sphere to just that, you know, handful that half a dozen or dozen actual products. That's exactly right. And then you would come in with just a built-in superpower of you already get the product. Like you already understand the headaches and the hassles associated with doing this thing. And so you can probably write copy that, you know, makes people want to stand up and get out of their chair and just go by. That's, that's exactly right. And you know, writing the copy is, is in a lot of ways talking to yourself as a user. Like what I try to do is, I try to ask myself, if I am going to be searching for my own pain point, I'm looking for products, what exactly would appeal to me? Is it some fancy, you know, words that mean nothing at all that have been written by analysts? Or is it in plain English? Does it actually grab my attention in the first sentence and tell me what it does? And then it gets into the details and then it tells me, you know, here are the proof points. Does that resonate better or not? So I think that's that's why anything that you do that stems from your curiosity of being the user itself uh, starts with the user journey itself. And the easiest way is when you go in and tinker with the product on your own. Absolutely. So I think everybody gets that. It's like, hey, if you expect, whether you're a SaaS marketer or whether you market some other type of product or service, yeah, you need to go beyond just watching the demo of it. You need to actually insert yourself into that customer's shoes from the discovery. Like, okay, how do you look around? How do you even find options for this? To the pitching, like how does it feel to be pitched to? To then the actual using of that product. And if you work for 
you know, in the example that we use, say, in HR software, but you have no workforce to manage, well, guess what? Grab the list of top tasks that are being performed most frequently and just go yeah. through, you know, in, in the shoes of that customer and do those tasks. Like you'll, you'll find things when you do that big and small to the point of, you know, big, it's like, oh, it's difficult to add multiple employees at once. Let's make that task easier to small. It's like, oh, the tab, you know, the tabulation doesn't like move to the, to the right field. Like when I press tab, I expect it to go to the enter button, but it's going instead to this other, you know, place. And that's where I think uh, the product-led growth piece comes in as well. So let's let's talk a little bit about that, right? What is product-led growth? And when you think about it, the, the way I define product-led growth, who has never heard of it, is it's kind of like when you go to a mall and somebody offers you a free sample of the product, right? So you could be in a place where somebody says, hey, go try out this perfume or would you like to try out this candy and whatnot? And, uh, you know, it reminds me of a time where my daughter and I, we were roaming around in the mall and my daughter said, hey, don't try any of these things. And I said, like, why? And she said, well, I read somewhere that if you try something, you are almost guaranteed to buy it. And I was like, oh, really? That And that sounded very interesting to me. So there is some truth to it. You might call it haptic marketing, where if you touch a product or you try to visualize what that product looks like in your life, then you're more likely to be convinced that this is something that you need, right? And when I'm searching for a specific pain point, then especially in that those times, it, it becomes really useful. So what does the experience of trying out that product looks like is part of PLG. So it's no longer marketing. It's no longer just uh, sending out a bunch of emails and saying, hey, come try out my product. You actually want to control that experience. You want to be able to say, come in and there should be no friction for you to sign up. And once you start using the product, there's a little bit of product design. There's a little bit of user experience and interaction design that you have to go through. And this goes back to you know the original hypothesis about you have to be a human and there's some established best practices don't make me sign up a really large form don't make me click on more than three buttons in order to finish one task and uh, you know just just be practical about how you're experiencing the product so that needs to match with the product itself right and that's where i think the plg the product design user interaction everything comes together in one place yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, that was incredibly valuable. I think uh, for anybody, any marketers, whether from the most senior, like the C-level, all the way down to even the interns and the most junior level of folks, uh, if if that's part of your playbook, just out of the book, out of the box, like, hey, let me jump into that product. Let me learn that product. Like, I don't think you're I don't think your superior is going to expect that. And I think that they're going to be really impressed by that, especially if you tell him, which is completely logical. Hey, I can't sell a product that I don't really know. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just plain logic. Exactly. So, um, and several years ago, cause we work with a lot of, uh, SaaS clients and several years ago, we started as the intake process, like spending time with the sales team, spending time with the product team learning. 
you wouldn't believe how impressed the clients were that we that those were some of the first questions that we asked. Um, but now after this conversation, I'm inspired to take that even to the next level. Like, hey, spin us up an instance and send us the list of top tasks so that we can actually perform them. Yeah, exactly. I think there's no there's no replacement for that, which is people talk a lot about empathy with the user and so on. At the end of the day, it's like, you know, pretend that you are the one who's being sold to and you're the one who's being marketed to. How would you like to be treated? And uh, if you were to use the product, how would you like to see the product go? And with, uh, with you know, everything turning into code, it's a lot easier than what it used to be earlier to make those changes too, right? Like I could go on and on about, hey, what took you three steps to do can be consolidated in one. Uh, it's easier to do it these days versus what it was, you know, even five years ago. And given the technical and the, you know, coding background, I can have an honest conversation with the engineers and the development team to say, don't tell me it's going to take three months to do it. Here's how you do it. And, you know, so your conversations become a lot easier too when you're talking to the product developers on how to basically remove the frictions of onboarding and then adopting the product. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a, that's a superpower that you have with the background, yeah, like in dev development and coding. Cause that was the second part of your secret was like a, be the user and B code and automation. So were you saying to, Hey, all marketers should go and learn code basically. Or were you saying that, Hey, understand kind of the, uh, the basics of how coding works so that you can sort of pseudo code and understand what types of changes are difficult and what types of changes are not as difficult. Yeah. I don't mean that everybody should become a coder. What I do mean is there is, um, again, as humans who do our jobs, we have tools of the trade and we are living in a time when there is actually too many tools of the trade especially yeah. in marketing if you just looked at the uh, you know the marketing landscape of uh, martech technologies it's it's just mind blowing there's not even hundreds of categories there's thousands and probably even more companies and tools that exist there so you have to understand the overall data flow right you have to understand in the context of the company that you're working with, what is a lead? What is a prospect? What is a customer? What is a churn? What is a acquisition? What is a conversion? Hmm. And then you have to visualize how that data is flowing, irrespective of the tools. So if you are using, let's say, for example, Eloqua, or if you're using, let's say, Salesforce, a HubSpot, or if you're using something like SendGrid or a MailChimp for email, how do all of these tools together work in cohorts with what you are trying to do? Are you just being trusted with these tools? So you're now doing things because you went and saw something in a conference about, you know, attribution and suddenly you go and buy a tool and then suddenly you realize that all of that data is sitting in Salesforce and you need to bring it over and then do something else after it has gone through it. 
what happens to the duplicates so my my take on this is you don't necessarily have to learn to code things have become a lot easier with no code and low code platform but you should have a very clear picture of the data flow mm-hmm. where does it originate in what tool and where do you want it to go not how it currently flows but where do you want it to go in order for you to do your job well and you as in your entire marketing team that makes a lot of sense so that's what i mean when when i say you know be more technical or be more cognizant of the tools that you're using yeah and i'll tell you man a lot of the best marketers that i meet are they come from a technical background because having that knowledge of just the nuts and bolts and the building blocks of how things work like my my partner is like that my partner's comp sci bioinformatics you know he's type of guy like he got his first computer when he was 7 and he took it apart and you know put it back together and you know all this type of thing um but that gives him a massive advantage when it comes to marketing cuz he can just jump into any new tool or technology and he figures out immediately how it works i'm like looking over his shoulder i miss half of it I, i'm like hold on what what does happen go back so anyway um that was hugely knowledgeable and an inspiration to me also to uh to continue building up my own technical chops and by the way youtube folks like yeah there's so many there's so much awesome content on youtube uh and in the age of ai especially what you're saying is absolutely right like it's possible to do things now with zero code that you know previously would have taken a lot of technical expertise somebody on our team just earlier today was like hey i've just made this video is a 2 minute video pretty good you know pretty good kind of like explainer sales video usable he's like a 15 word prompt i made that video oh wow yeah it's crazy so anyway madukar that was amazing uh i can tell that was just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the the types of secrets that you could share uh but for the sake of time i want to talk a little bit about single store like you guys seem like you're just kicking ass and taking names i i uh heard you raised a big round recently i think it was your series f you're pushing i think it's close to 1000 employees or uh no uh, around 500 employees yeah 400 um but i was on your uh your success stories page like where you're telling customer success stories and the the types of quotes that you're getting directly from from clients are next level. It's like, "Hey, I was looking at, you know, BigQuery and Snowflake and these other tools and we just ditched all of them and we're with you." Like really powerful quotes on that page. Um and you had a really funny LinkedIn post recently which was like, "Can you explain what RAG and vector databases and where single store fits into this?" And you're like, "Hold my beer." So uh this is that old your beer moment. Tell us like you know it's a little bit not over my head but you know for explain it like you would explain it to a fifth grader like what is it that you guys are doing kind of what's your secret sauce that's working so well. Yeah and it's uh it's one of those things as I was alluding to earlier it's very close to my heart in the sense I enjoy working with these technologies and I have for several years in the past so it seems all very fortunate that things have come together but let's let's talk about what is single store so single store is a database right and you might say okay then what is a database so to that i say 
imagine all human knowledge over the years and years that we've collected what did we typically do we wrote it down in books and then you have libraries right and then over a period of time it turned digital and that information is now stored somewhere in a database so think yeah. of database as an online library of all information yeah now when you think of database fortunately unfortunately there's several different kinds there are hundreds of different kinds because unlike books where it's all words and maybe you just have languages here we are talking about different data types it could be in sql or structured query language which is rows and columns it could be in json it could be a pdf it could be an image it could be a video you get the idea yeah so what what single store is imagine that you had five or six football stadium worth of information mm-hmm. now how do you go about and say how many books of this type or this category do i have mm-hmm. in a physical world you would have to literally go and count each one of them unless you have stack them together so there is something called analytics database and within the analytics database you arrange the data in a certain format so it's easier to do sums it's easier to do averages or aggregations and so or on or compare this period to that period right but because of the sheer amount of data it's usually a very long process because you know it's you have optimized for storage not for doing analytics so that's where companies like snowflake and maybe databricks and others come in where you have massive amounts of data you've stored it in what's called a data warehouse or a data lake and so you run a query and it takes time so your analytics is point in time just this certain insight happened at a certain point in time what single store does so so that's actually one kind of a database the other database is somebody's buying something from my website so i'm just going to write it very quickly otherwise the user will have to wait till it goes and makes a commit into my library or database so now imagine typically what happens in a very large company is you end up getting transactional databases and you end up getting these data warehouses and then you're constantly moving the data around before you can run analytics and then even then it becomes a problem because the sheer amount of the data and the different variety causes you to you know wait for hours a real example let's say there are trucks that are coming in from different safeways all over the united states yeah. now some of these safeways might need certain product like uh, baby milk or or diapers while others might require something else depending on the supply over there in demand mm-hmm. when they come to the truck bay the company runs a whole bunch of analytics to say okay here's what i got from this safe here is another one from the store it took them 4 or 5 hours to first figure out what is needed in which store then mm-hmm. you load up the trucks and then it goes back that typically costs for 5 hours about 10 million dollars for that company wow now imagine if you could do that in a few seconds and that's what single store is so single store think of it as like a really well organized and large library of information of different types but you can run analytics in split seconds or milliseconds 
But at the same time, you can also write to it very quickly. So over a period of time, we arrange it in a way so it's easier to retrieve, but it's mostly analytics. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that important with AI? Because with AI, what is happening now is AI is trained on certain set of data. And if you're running AI on your company, it doesn't know about your data, right? Right. So you need to curate and retrieve data from your company and give it to AI and say, hey, tell me something about it. Mm-hmm. If that takes longer than a second or even you know, a second, that's too late if you're trying to do things like uh, autonomous driving or you're trying to do real-time analytics. So that's where single store comes in. And it's been around for eight or 10 years. Just like you said, we have about um, 400 or so employees and uh, we are on version eight of the software it's available on the cloud but also hybrid as well as uh, you know if you want to run it on prem as well several large customers all the way from credit card companies to fortune 500 investment planning and investment management companies to security companies anywhere you have a use case where you want to take real time data and then do something with it in split second that's where most of our customers are yeah, and to give everybody an idea, just on your homepage, like you have the uh, client roster of client rosters: Sony, Uber, Hulu, GE, Goldman Sachs, Fiverr, Disney, Dell, Comcast, Macy's, Kellogg's. Like these are some big names. These are some massive organizations you guys are working with. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. So uh, it sounds like an awesome product. I want to talk more about that maybe uh, at another time just because i want to get into the meat of the marketing side of things so Mm -hmm. you're clearly having some success doing something right and the ability to acquire all these um what what have you been doing from a marketing perspective that's really working like what's really driving your engine yeah i think uh one of the things that early on in this year we figured out was of course for chat gpt and open ai there was a lot of interest in generative ai and so what we figured out was a lot of developers which happens to be our you know ideal customer profiles in many ways as well as buyers in it that typically will buy a database because they are building some sort of a service or a product on top of the existing data. They're certainly all interested in generative AI. And in order for you to use generative AI, just like as we talked about earlier, we've figured out that at the end of it, your AI is as good as your data. If you have no data or if your data is inaccurate, then your AI is absolutely useless. It's hollow. It's more of a gimmick, right? Mm -hmm. So what you are able to do is if you're able to curate and then contextualize data in split seconds and then give it to AI, then it's really powerful. You can do all kinds of stuff with it. So we figured out this early on, somewhere around January, February, and we were calling it, you know, this is a new wave of uh, building application. It's called in-context learning for LLMs. And eventually now it has a name called Retrieval Augmented Generation. Mm -hmm. And in that, you need something called vectors or vector databases 
to be able to take your data, convert it into vectors or numbers, and then be able to do semantic search in it. I need to do that in split second. Turns out we have had vectors since 2017. That's when the paper on transformers were written by Google. And yeah. we've had customers who've been using it for you know real-time uh, face detection and image matching and so on. And I'd love to talk more about that too. So from, from a marketing perspective, we realized that if we can provide something of value to users who are looking to learn about generative AI and lead them to this thought leadership, then maybe there is, there is something to it. So it would start off as a hypothesis. So we did a couple of webinars and certainly it was, the interest was off the charts. Mm-hmm. What's funny is we used to have a much smaller subscription of Zoom. And in one particular webinar, we had to just double, triple that uh, subscription because mm-hmm. 600 to 800 people showed up and they were yeah, like more broke, than- Broke the Zoom. Yeah. And then there were more than uh, 2,500 people who had registered. And we said, okay, there has to be something to it. Every week we did it we saw the numbers repeat itself. So we figured out a machine to say, okay, if this topic is what is interest to our customers and it matches with what our product does, then that's like pure harmony. And so we started to build an engine around that. And now it has, you know, the PLG trials is seeing an exponential curve where every month we are growing by 2X, 3X. So, that, in my mind, is a perfect example of using the product itself and then understanding how to tie it back to the end user's interest and adding some sort of value to it. And that seems to have worked so far. So now wow. we are actually taking that and turning it into a one-day AI conference, which we'll be announcing pretty soon. And That's awesome. Time. When was that, circa when when you broke the Zoom? I think that was closer to March or April. Uh, of this year. Of this year, yeah. But you guys were onto the AI wave many years ago. Like that, it was nothing new for you. It was just that the market finally caught up. Yeah. I mean, l- let's take another example or let's go a little bit deeper into the AI piece. Like I said, think of it as if you're building an application, your data sits here. LLM, which is a very smart kid, is here. Yeah. The smart kid doesn't know about your data. So what you do is you take your data and you vectorize it so you can do similarity matching very quickly. So we saw a new birth of new kinds of databases that only do vectors. But we've been doing this from, since 2017. So what we do is you take your data that's being generated in real time as well. We do a quick search and then we send it to the LLM that comes back and tells you, oh, okay, for this question, based on the data you told me, here's the answer. Yeah. So one example of semantic search is uh, we have we have a customer called Lumix. And what they do is uh, they help with Amber Alerts and so on. So why is single store different? in a way is because what happens is your data sits in both structured and unstructured format, right? So you might have images, but you also have data about cars and stuff. Mm -hmm. So let's say there's an Amber Alert today. And in that Amber Alert, somebody says there is a white Tesla with a license plate number had K in it 
and I saw it in a specific area, which is geolocation area. And so what this company does is they use single store and they're getting real life feed from cameras across the city. And so now what you're doing is in an instant, you're matching some deterministic query, like give me car, which is white, which is a model Tesla and has a license plate, which includes the words K and here go match it with the image of the live feed that's coming in. Wow. So with that, you know, you, you're matching essentially 16 million records and then coming back in less than a second. And you say, yep, here we go. Here's, here's one. You zoom into it and then you're able to help, you know, catch criminals and such. But you can also do it for interesting things. Like you can, people have started to use it to track, for example, in a Starbucks, how many cups did one barista make versus the other just by visual matching of the data or vision as it's called. And that's, so that's amazing where, that it happens in real time with like gigabytes of video footage. Man, that seems like magic. Yeah. And that's why we feel uh, we've gotten very lucky because, you know, the world is moving and now squarely in real-time data. And if you cannot analyze that or contextualize that for your customers, then you're losing out big time. And so that's what we zoomed in from a marketing perspective. And that's kind of the things we started to build. We start building applications and, um, you know, think about database as I'd say like electricity or internet. The only time you miss it is when it's not there. Yeah. But it's extremely important for your application. So what we're doing is we are helping companies build applications like these using our database. And that's kind of been driving our momentum of uh, getting more developers to sign up and so on. Uh, that's cool. So is it is it all product led, like all organic, no ads at all? Or are you buying ads on any of the Googles, LinkedIn's, anything like that? No, the only ads that we do is for branded keywords, and that's to protect our brand. Mm-hmm. But we don't do any paid ads for signups or anything of that sort. It's cool. primarily driven by uh, inbound and thought leadership and webinars and events. And referrals, I'm sure. Yes, that too. People are on this webinar like, hey, you got to see this. <laughs> yeah. Here's the length of Zoom. Cool, man. Well, uh, that's amazing. Congratulations to you guys. Let me know uh, on your next round if you need another investor. I would love to pick up a couple <laughs> shares. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about challenges. I'm sure it's not all wine and roses. What is, uh, what's keeping you up at night these days? Yeah, I think... Um... The, the thing that keeps me up at night is how I know for a fact, because I've been around for a while, that you know typically a wave doesn't last forever. Yeah. And this time, this wave is very different, the generative AI wave, because it has value for day-to-day users, for people like you and me, even outside of our work. You can use it to improve your overall life by automating some stuff, right? And so, but at the same time, at some point, it's going to plateau out. So we as marketers here, at least in single store, we need to figure out what is that machine that keeps going where people find value in using single store for building out that application. Uh, 
So I'm constantly thinking about, okay, what is that next thing? And how do I make sure that we are helping our customers the right way by thinking about around the corner thing? Yeah. And two is how do you get to get more value out of using single store? I constantly think about, and this, these are just conversations we just had, is um, what do we need to do in order to get people to use our product every day? And, you know, again, it's electricity, so you're not constantly going and tinkering with your electric box every day, but you're in the business in many ways of the apps. So what kind of apps can we help them build and build it in an easier way? So in the ecosystem, where are the other connections that we need to build and so on? So those are a couple of things that's constantly on the mind to try and figure out how to drive more adoption, but at the same time, continue on the search for acquisition. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you're, you're correct, of course, that, you know, waves happen and bubbles happen. I don't think, I think that this one is like, it's certainly going to peak, like it's going to, it's a peak maybe right now it'll trough, but I think a lot like the internet did like in the, in the dot com Right. days like it didn't go away it like continued growing but it wasn't as explosive nearly as yeah you know those early 2000s so that makes a lot of sense well um time has just been flying here like i'm look i just looked at the clock and i was like oh man um the uh the last segment before the lightning round is just uh what is and it kind of goes back into your to your what keeps you up at night but what is next for you like what are you guys investing in what are you budgeting for for next year uh what's on the horizon yeah absolutely i think for us the big ticket is we have made a bet on where the world is headed according to us it's all about real-time data and the ability to transact as well as analyze and contextualize that Data in real time is what's going to separate companies. So we're doing a lot of uh, work around that, and uh, you know it falls under three buckets. What are the things around vectors that we can do to make that even better? To what can we do in terms of making it more developer friendly for people to be able to come and start using all these uh, exceptional capabilities in few minutes? And then finally is the ecosystem. How is it connected into the rest of the other databases, other applications, other tools to make it much more easier for people to start using it? So yeah. those are the three big buckets that we are working towards. And like I said, we have our first developer conference coming up purely on AI on October 17th. It's at Chase Center. And that day is entirely dedicated towards this and building out that vision of the future for development. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I would love, well, I probably won't be able to come to that, but I would love to uh, get the highlights. I'll be sure to read up on that. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to start a little free trial. I see you guys have a free trial motion, of course, yeah. many PLGs do. So I think I might jump in there and see if I can experience that magic myself i'm gonna bring my partner of course who's the coder in us and hey check this out because we use bigquery um yeah looker so actually what one thing we did was we introduced our own bot called squirrel bot which if you sign up at single store you can use it to 
write SQL queries for you. So you can talk to the database in plain English. So oh, go give awesome. it a try. Uh, you don't need to be technical to do that. It that's will awesome. give you some interesting results. I will do that. All right, Madhukar. Well, this has been uh, really amazing. I'm sure that people got a ton of value from this. Let's do the lightning round. Sure. You ready? Sure. Here we go. Question one. If you were to start a side hustle, what side hustle would that be? Probably build a marketing-related tool. Okay. All right. Any any other context on it? <laughs> any other? Yeah, I, yeah. I would or, say, like you know, as as a marketer, I I do certain things in a repeated way, and there are certain things that I know can be automated and made a lot more simpler. So, if I were to build a tool for myself that cuts my time in half and frees me up to do other stuff, then I would totally go build something like that. That's cool. I've got a couple ideas there. Maybe we'll partner up on something. <laughs> Uh, number two is top three books or authors or influencers or even other companies or products that have um, that have made a big impact on your career as a marketer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of books, I love the book Sapiens. I have read it a couple of times and I keep going back to it because it had some really good nuggets of just, you know, trying to understand who we are, where we are headed. And just giving perspective to certain things, like what what is a company, what is an organization, what yeah. is a cult, and how do humans behave? I think it's a good human psychology book for uh, for a marketer even. The second one was uh, I just finished reading about a month ago was Shoe Dog, which is the um, story about Nike, started yeah. by Phil Knight. Yeah, and so I love that book. I think it's very engaging, very honest, authentic, and it was referred to me by my CEO. Oh, so cool. it it's phenomenal. I love that. In terms of the uh, third thing that I'm really into whenever I and work out is the Lex Friedman podcast. Okay. He does these really long interviews with very well known names like Sam Altman, George Hotz, uh, Mark Andreessen. And it's just like his thought process and the way he goes about doing those interviews. I just love it. It, it's, it just cuts across different facets of human life, mostly around AI. And oh, I feel cool. I learn a lot from that podcast as well. So cool. those I'll are the three it. things I would say. Nice. And then finally is how do you avoid burnout and how do you help your team to avoid burnout? Yeah, I... I think we were talking about this. I don't, maybe my definition of burnout is something else. I don't feel there is a thing called burnout for everybody. It's if you like doing something, you keep doing it. And if you need a break, you go take a break. Um, I think burnout is, is, is defined as something that you're forced to do without you in control. So you do so much that you start hating it. Yeah, That's my understanding. And to that, I said, well, then don't do it. Yeah. Uh, so in many ways, it's a little bit controversial, but I say that if you really like what you're doing, you would be doing it all the time. And if that makes you happy to do it all the time, okay, then just go do it. And it, 
at some point you are tired of doing that thing and you want to do something else then go do something else i think it's a little bit more about control of what other people are making you do versus what you're doing that leads to this notion of burnout but again controversial i'm sure there are some good arguments on the other side as well yep absolutely all right madukar well thank you again this has been amazing uh for everybody listening if you learned something here today or if you laughed a little uh give us a like drop us a comment we read all of them uh or share this with a friend the uh the five star ratings on the on the pod stores really help as well we definitely appreciate it madukar for everybody that wants to learn more about you and or a single store or this uh conference that you have coming up where would you direct them to yeah absolutely so go to singlestore.com you'll see all the links and we are adding more on day to day basis plus i am have become a very avid user of linkedin so if you follow me on my linkedin profile you can see all the posts that i keep writing and i love writing a lot of long form articles as well and just like chris said just send me a note if you like something or if you disagree with something i'm happy to have a good healthy discourse your posts were funnier than i would have expected <laughs> from from a technical guy the hold my beer one had me laughing out loud that was awesome <laughs> all right everybody well uh thank you very much for tuning in that was another exciting episode of revenue driven cmo and we will see you next time all right thank you all right that's a wrap baby and that's a wrap thanks for joining us here today for show notes and other episodes visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com that's revenuedrivencmo.com and hey exclusive for listeners of this podcast web mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free literally no sales calls no bs just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours even if you're already a client if you're struggling with demand gen lead gen seo sem google ads linkedin ads conversion optimization if you can't get facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you or you can't figure out attribution web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them whatever programs you put in front of them and they will give you an objective informed opinion plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention and that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.